Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. We reaffirmed our commitment uh, in the joint statement uh, to the Wales Declaration, to the Wales Agreements. Uh, and in Wales, uh, all NATO countries uh, agreed to reverse uh, the cuts uh, and move towards 2%. All right, so that's Prime Minister Trudeau speaking of the conclusion of this NATO summit of Brussels. Um, not, not directly saying and stating that Canada is going to try to achieve uh, that 2% target, that we are moving toward it as in we are increasing spending on the military. But it doesn't seem as though we're going to be at 2% of GDP anytime soon when it comes to military spending, unless we get really creative uh, with the bookkeeping. In which case, I mean, it just underscores how meaningless this is. Uh, clearly, I think our, our military, our armed forces, have been underfunded for, for too long. And, and we do need to commit a lot more to, to ensuring that we have a modern, capable military for our own reasons but certainly to demonstrate to our allies uh, that we are serious uh, about defense, that we are not going to be freeloaders in any sense of the word. So this 2% target that has become such a big issue with this, this summit, with the U.S. president once again expressing frustration that uh, not enough NATO allies are at that level, or that we're not going to get there quickly enough, even suggesting at one point that uh, maybe we should aim for 4% instead of 2%. But what does the number indicate? I mean, Greece is an example of a country that spends over 2% of its GDP on its military. But is Greece uh, committed to NATO? When you look at NATO missions, Greece does not stand out as a strong contributor. So are there other ways to measure commitment to this alliance? Well, joining us for some thoughts on that front, very pleased to welcome to the program, uh, Jeffrey uh, Rafke. He's a senior fellow and deputy director of the Europe Program with the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. Uh, you can read more at CSIS.org. Uh, Jeffrey, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. A pleasure to be with you, Rob. Um, what's your sense of, of where things were left at the conclusion of this summit? Is there any kind of a new agreement toward 2%? Or, or it's, I mean, it's been hard to determine. Well, you're right. Uh, there was a, a last-minute blow-up uh, in, instigated by President Trump about the defense spending issue. And as, as you say, um, he reportedly um, said, well, it should be 4% or that countries should meet 2% immediately. Um, and, and so that caused a lot of, uh, a lot of chaos and a lot of uh, last-minute consultation. Uh, and, but it's not really clear that that changed the actual outcome. Um, and as, as uh, Prime Minister Trudeau said in the clip that you introduced with, you know, NATO allies remain uh, supportive and agree on the 2% target by the year 2024. A majority of NATO allies have plans in place that will get them to that level by 2024. Um, uh, and it's, it's not really 
there may have been a few more that have joined that club uh, that is having the plan to get to 2% over the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, um, but it's not really clear whether the president's uh, you know, last-minute uh, intervention uh, changed uh, anything. Uh, it certainly did create, though, confusion. Um, and and it, it comes also, uh, it, it raises the question of what the best way is to, uh, to measure um, contributions to the NATO alliance. I think there are three things that make up the NATO alliance. What, the first thing is shared strategic interests and values. The second thing is political cohesion and solidarity. And then the third thing is sharing the burden for transatlantic defense. Uh, the, you know, it's, it's one leg of the stool, so to speak. And uh, one of the dangers is that if we blow that one factor out of all proportion to the other two factors, then uh, we, we don't have a healthy approach to our alliance. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me, at least in, in broad terms, that the, the idea of the 2% target is, is so that every country is um, you know, contributing something to their own defense. That, that NATO, the existence of NATO, shouldn't be an excuse to underfund your military because you've got 28 other friends that will ride to your rescue in, in times of trouble. That's absolutely right. Right. There is an obligation, you know, if you look at the NATO treaty, before you get to the Article 5, an attack on one is an attack on all uh, section, there is an Article 3, which says every country is responsible for, um, you know, having the forces necessary for self-defense. So, um, so you, don't get, you don't get the solidarity unless you also bring the real capabilities and commitment to the table. Uh, Greece is, is, is pointed to it as a, an example of, of how the 2% target can be somewhat meaningless and, and not to, to bash Greece necessarily. But, I mean, they, they've got their own, uh, I think, fiscal issues that they're dealing with. But uh, Greece does spend 2% of its GDP on, on its military, the way we calculate it. But in terms of contributions to NATO and NATO missions, they're, they're near the bottom. So what, what does that tell us? Well, I, I think that what it tells me and uh, what it tells uh, my colleagues here, we've done a study uh, on this over the last several months, is that you know, measuring the raw uh, spending level is a pretty imprecise way of determining who is sharing the burden. Um, instead of measuring how many dollars or euros uh, a country puts into the, uh, their defense budget, we should be measuring what they are providing as an output. So that, that involves deploying on NATO operations, participating in other NATO military activities. It also uh, has to do with, um, you know, having, are you creating the military capabilities that NATO says it needs um, to implement its strategy? So uh, our conclusion is that NATO needs to be paying much more attention to the outputs that countries um, uh, produce rather than the raw spending numbers. Another good example, you know, you mentioned Greece, and but let's take a look at France. Uh, France spends about 1.8% of its GDP. The French um, military budget is a, about the same as Germany's, about 38 billion euros per year. But if you look at what France produces with that 1.8% of its GDP, they are a nuclear power. They are engaged globally. They, are, they have multiple operations underway um, in which they take a leading kinetic role. 
So, but I think it's pretty hard to say that France isn't pulling its uh, its weight within the yeah. alliance, um, and and that's before you start to talk about other countries. Um, but that's so. I think that that illustrates the the shortcomings of a fixation on a single uh, measure that is just an input rather than an output. Well, do we have sufficient data that we could uh, objectively measure the, these contributions by other means and, and have a target that, that we can strive for? Well, one of the things that was uh, most striking as we did our research um, was, you know, we weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. And what we discovered was that a lot of this data is already collected by countries because NATO has a has a very well-established um, process for defense planning. And, and in, in doing that defense planning, every ally provides information to NATO, which covers things like, uh, are you meeting the capability targets? You know, are, you, are you producing the military capabilities that NATO says, it's need, says it needs? And if you are, are you doing that fully? Or are you doing it partially? Or are you doing that not at all? That's one type of data NATO collects. NATO also has data on whether a country's armed forces are... Um, you know, as, as they put it, usable and sustainable. In other words, are your forces ready and able to, uh, to be deployed? Um, NATO has a lot of data on that. And, and then there's a, there's a, a, a third um, a category of, of information or of, of data, which is how many of your armed forces actually are deployed. And they measure that down to the kind of soldier day, if you want to put it that way. All of this information exists, but it is uh, either restricted or classified. Um, so if NATO could make that information public, then we could have a public discussion about burden sharing that was much more about the things countries actually are producing uh, rather than the raw levels of spending. And, and so that's our, our principal recommendation is that NATO uh, and, and NATO countries should agree to make this information public. And then uh, we're not going to be fighting just about whether, you know, you've met this 2% target, but what you're doing with that money. Right. Well, and I mean, the goal here then is to strengthen the alliance. And of course, the underlying premise to that is that the alliance still matters. And maybe not everybody feels that way. Maybe this, this U.S. president doesn't feel that way. But is it, is it your view that NATO does still matter? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the, you know, the, the alliance system that the United States and its, uh, and its partners built after the Second World War um, was to serve our, our interests. It was not about charity uh, toward Europeans, as some people in the United States sometimes uh, may see it. Uh, it. It was to you know, multiply our own influence and reach and to ensure our own security. Um, one of the threats uh, to our security, uh, unfortunately, um, is still um, Russia's aggressive behavior in Europe. Do you want to confront uh, that uh, and be able to deter it in Europe, or do you want to uh, wait until it is um, closer to home? I think for, for the United States, that's the fundamental calculation. Do we want to address um, security challenges with allies, or do we want to have to meet them on our own? And when you put it that way, at least to me, the answer seems obvious. Yeah, indeed. Well, much more at CSIS.org. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you so much for the insight here. Appreciate making some time for us. Pleasure talking to you, Rob. Take care. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.